Welcome to The Exchange, a podcast from Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. In this podcast, we examine the world through a grace perspective and connect biblical truth in everyday life. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Exchange Podcast. My name is Nolan Smith. I'm your host and the high school and college pastor here at Grace Church. Before we get started with today's episode, I do want to let everybody know uh, we appreciate everyone who's been listening. We've gotten a lot of great feedback, and one thing that I want to do with this podcast is give people the chance to tell us what what you guys want to hear and what questions, what topics would you like uh, would you like us to discuss. I've, I've always said that this is a, a podcast where the goal is to allow other people in Grace Church or even outside of Grace Church to sort of hear the conversations that we pastors have um, and where, you know, for me personally, getting the access to the different pastors. And if I've got a question about something or I want somebody's perspective, I can just walk into their office and have that conversation. And so I'd like for for the people of Grace Church and anybody listening to sort of have that same access and, and to be able to hear that perspective. So if there's something you want to hear uh, the pastors or the leadership of Grace Church cover, we'd love to get that feedback. And you can actually do that now. You can submit questions to exchange at gracechurch.com. So that we've got an email address where you can submit your questions and those will come to me. And we'll try and, and uh, get as many of those on the podcast as we can. Again, exchange at gracechurch.com. We also have some future episodes that, that we're planning. Uh, one of the biggest topics, I've already gotten a lot of feedback about this and people wanting to hear is women in ministry and women in Grace Church. And we're very excited to cover that in future episodes. We'll have, uh, we'll have that coming um, here in the next few weeks and months. And so very excited to cover that along with a lot of other topics. So with that said, I'd like to introduce today's guest, which is Joe Cook, our pastor to middle middle adults, middle-aged adults. We always joke about the the middle <laughs> the title being the middle-aged a, adult a, a little yeah, <laughs> ill-defined maybe. The middle-aged pastor. Uh, yeah, and um, and so Joe, our topic today is one that I feel like all of our pastors uh, could probably qualify as theology nerds to some degree. Um, <laughs> but but I feel like you and I have maybe sort of like a special affinity for for what we're talking about today. I, I think a lot of that's based on seminary classes that we've taken and, sure. and some of the professors that you and I have had. And so um, we're talking about free grace theology today. And this is something, and this is also something that I've had other people ask us to address in the podcast. So I'm, I'm excited to you know, kind of talk about something that people are interested in, as well as something that I just completely geek out over. Oh yeah. Well, we so, both do. <laughs> so, uh, free grace theology. When we when we talk about free grace theology, I think the reason that it is important is because it's it's the theological perspective that we at Grace Church sort of subscribe to. It would I would I have explained it as being the theological grid we're most closely aligned with. Right. Yeah. And and and. We'll get into this a little bit later, but it's also mm-hmm. a kind of a unique one in, in the sense that there aren't yes. a lot of... You couldn't probably walk into very many churches in Wichita Falls no. where they would claim this perspective. And that's not to say that it doesn't have anything in common with a lot of other churches, but that specifically what we're going to 
dive into and unpack is pretty distinct to Grace Church. Sure. So, um, so we, I mean, I'm I'm really excited to talk about this in depth. And so this is actually going to be a topic that will probably require at least two, maybe three episodes. And and you know, we said in preparation we could talk for ten or twelve episodes about this, but we'll try and we'll try and condense it down uh, as much as we can. Uh, but we're going to start by, I think when we say free grace theology, there are some people who go, yeah, I, I know what that is. That's why I go to Grace Church. But I think there's a lot of people who, even if they've gone to Grace Church for a long time, that may still be something that they're like, ah, I've heard the term. I'm not super familiar with it. Sure. Um, and that's yeah. assuming they have heard of it. Some, you know, there's going to be even a lot of people who have never heard of it. And so let's just start by defining it. So when somebody asks what is free grace theology? What do you think is a simple, functional definition? You know, trying to give a simple explanation of what a, a systematic theology is is a pretty daunting task. Uh, if I were pressed to put it in a sentence, I would say something like, the primary goal of free grace theology is to clarify the biblical nature of God's grace. Um, you know, one person is, has said that grace is the most important concept in the scripture. And so when you think about what great, when you define grace as God's unmerited favor, mm-hmm. um, that's the, one of the ways we unpack it. It's the message of the gospel, and it's the message from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Yep. It's God's pursuit of mankind that's undeserved, and the apex of that mission that he goes on is the cross of Jesus Christ. So free grace theology hones in on that aspect of it to clarify and to emphasize the importance of it. I think that's a a real good definition. And as we go maybe a little deeper and you start talking about the defining marks, the defining characteristics, what are some things that people could recognize that are, that's free grace theology as opposed to something else? Sure. At the top of the list for free grace theology, I would put the, and the theological word is soteriology, mm-hmm. which is the fancy word for this is how you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Commonly, people refer to this as how am I saved, mm-hmm. um, maybe how was I justified, how was I born again, right. that whole study. And that's probably, if you're going to start somewhere with free grace theology, that's the place and the emphasis is on the fact that this is a free gift. Even the, even the title, Free Grace Theology, is a little bit redundant. Mm-hmm. Sounds a little redundant because you have yeah. free and you have grace. And when you understand grace is this unmerited favor, well, that's kind of like yeah. free. Mm-hmm. But even Paul, there's a biblical mandate for it. And Paul, Paul in Ephesians 3, 7 talks about the, the gift of grace mm-hmm. and repeats that. Well, why do you have to have the word gift with grace mm-hmm. when they both kind of have that free connotation and the emphasis that free grace theology would make is that there are no strings attached. Right. This is a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's a professor you and I have shared or someone else, but one of the professors I had talked about how with free grace theology, we neither want to front end load the gospel mm-hmm. or back end load. In other words, mm-hmm. there's no works required to receive this gift. Mm-hmm. 
and there's no works on the back end. There's nothing that you have to do to keep this or gift. To, or to prove that you deserved it. And that would be a third component mm-hmm. to prove mm-hmm. that you have to, that you've got it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And those are all things that are out there mm-hmm. that that free grace is sort of trying to distinguish itself from. Sure. So, okay. So that so you talk soteriology. Mm-hmm. You know, if I had to pick a, the next thing on the list, I would probably go to the the biblical affirmation of God's sovereignty and the biblical affirmation of man's free will mm-hmm. and for millennia now <laughs> yeah theologians have struggled with those two things what they now, mean when you dig into theological history mm-hmm. and the progression of the church you start to understand why that struggle came in but when you properly define the terms when you biblically define the terms you really discover there's not a tension there. Yes. Which is quite shocking to a lot of people. And so what you're talking about for anybody who may, you know, I think we we get so inundated in the in the conversation and the mm-hmm. debate and the the classes that we've taken and all of that that those words we take them for granted. Sure. You're referring to the tension between does God control everything? Mm-hmm. And so when we say sovereignty, a lot of times, not everybody, but a lot of times when people use that word, they're saying God's control over every minute aspect yeah. of... It's what we call determinism, yeah. right? Determinism, And yeah. so you're, what you're referring to is the question, does God hardline control mm-hmm. every single tiny little detail of the universe versus... Mm-hmm. Do people have the ability to make their own decisions? Yeah. And and does God, you know, I think the big debate on the side where people believe that God is completely sovereign, I think their their thinking would be if people have free will, then God is not in control. And if he doesn't, if he's not in control, then he's not all powerful and so on and so forth. But what you're you're getting at then is how free grace really finds a, a harmony between mm-hmm. the idea that God is in control and yet he allows people to make their own decisions and he gives people volition. That's good. And so mm-hmm. when, when we then say sovereignty, we don't mean the same thing that some people mean, which we would say God's sovereignty, correct me if you see it mm-hmm. differently, but we would say God's sovereignty is his oversight where he's he allows things to happen within his mm-hmm. kingdom and his parameters and things like that but he's not going to control every detail but but the he's good enough powerful enough and this is where we see his omnipotence he can take whatever happens and still work it together sure. for the good of those who you love know, him like Romans 8:28 so it, it comes down to and and theologians are are always embroiled in discussions about how you define a word. The word, def- the word sovereignty is a perfectly good word, mm-hmm. um, it's, and it's a true description of God. But when you, if you look up the English word sovereignty, you're going to see absolute power and absolute mm-hmm. authority. Do I believe God is sovereign in that he has absolute power and absolute authority? Absolutely, mm-hmm. beyond a shadow of a doubt. The question is, does he use that absolute authority and power to micromanage the universe? And the reality is there are theologies out there mm-hmm. that support that. Yeah, a lot. I, yeah. I, I even have, you know, one prominent theologian 
in some notes where he's quoted as saying that God superintends the movement of every single molecule in the universe. If there's one single maverick molecule in the universe, then God is not sovereign. And the problem with that is it's not supported by Scripture. Right, right. And the other problem that that naturally uh, appears in that conversation or in that line of thinking is, go back to our first point, which was soteriology, how a person comes to faith in Jesus, how they come to have eternal life. Mm-hmm. If God is 100%, not just in control, but controlling. Controlling. Yes. Yeah. If he is 100% making everything that happens happen, Mm-hmm. then you have to logically come to a point where you go, okay, when a person doesn't come to faith in Jesus, they die, they've never put their trust in Jesus, that was God's intention from mm-hmm. the start because he will, He made it happen. And I think you'll hear people from other faith backgrounds who will present ways that they would... You know, I, I'm not accusing everyone who believes something different from us of saying that. Sure, but they definitely handle that tension differently than we do. And, and we, we come off of the, God, look, God's not, he is not micromanaging every single thing that happens to the point that he, he brings a person into existence, creates a person with the intent from the start mm-hmm. and, the, and the understanding from the start, this person will never put their, their trust in Jesus and they will go to hell, and I am going to create them anyway, mm-hmm. and and the you know the object of wrath, sort of a thing, and a, a predetermination, so, a predetermination of, of double their fate. predetermination that you I determine who goes to hell, and I determine who goes to heaven. Yes, yeah. and so again, I'm not. Neither one of us would say everyone outside of free grace says that God is evil and ordains at people to hell. We we don't. We're not accusing everyone of that, but no. what we are saying is they would handle that tension mm-hmm. differently than we would, where we would simply say, God is not micromanaging and, and ordering that. In fact, he relinquishes in his by his own will. Mm-hmm. He's choosing to do it. He's relinquishing some of the, the details of creation to say, you know what? I'm going to put the ball in your court on this. Let you make a decision. Sure. And then, and whatever decision you make, I'm big enough, good enough, powerful enough to still bring about my good purposes mm-hmm. from that. So he's not deterministic on the front end where he, where we call predetermines things. But I guess you maybe could say he's deterministic in that he's going to determine the end result with whatever he's given from our end. So there, there's two concepts in Scripture. There, there's two Greek words that are often translated will. Mm-hmm. You know, there's one that's um, boule, and it has to do with God's plan. Mm-hmm. And when you see that, this is definite, and this is associated most frequently with the plan of salvation, how God is going to build this bridge to make a way for his wayward children to come back to him. That word shows up most times associated with God's plan. Right. Then there's thelema, which is sometimes translated will. This is the one in First Timothy chapter two, verse three, where we read, "This is God's will." In the, oh, in the old King James, yes. it uses will. In the New King James, it's desire, desire. and God's I think ESV does that men. too. Yeah. But it's His desire that all men come to faith. You know, mm-hmm. come to faith in Jesus. Well, that's His desire. Right. But 
that's different than his plan. We see throughout Scripture God has desires Mm -hmm. and he has plans. He has those things that he's going to determine happen, and he also has these things that he desires, Right. but he has created a a universe where he allows himself, and, and this is a word that's sort of shocking to a lot of people, but he allows himself to be thwarted in his desires. Mm-hmm. He allows to ha- he has some desires that he knows because he tells us, I desire that all men would be saved, but we know from Scripture all men are not saved. Yeah. Jesus stood before Jerusalem and wept over them. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed mm-hmm. to gather you under my wings. And, and the last five words say, But you were not willing. And that's that same word. Mm-hmm. Man has a will that is often opposed to God's will, yeah. and there are times where God allows them allows us to have our will. Yeah, and I think an easy way to sort of put this in our real world terms, I guess, sure. would be a parent who desires that their child make certain decisions and not make other decisions. Mm-hmm. But we also recognize we can't control our children forever, and mm-hmm. I'm certainly in the earlier stages of this. <laughs> yeah, um, I know you've got you've got a daughter who's now out of high school and in college, and uh, and and so as parents, we want our children to do certain things, and we want them not to do certain other things. Mm-hmm. But we recognize they're not going to be under our authority forever, and in sending them out into the world. We want to prepare them to make good decisions. And at mm-hmm. some point along the way, we have to start letting go. Yes. We have to start allowing them to make their own decisions. So even even in a really specific level, think about helping your child learn to ride a bike. Mm-hmm. You're holding on to that back, you know, the back of the seat yep. as they go. And you can't hold on forever. Mm-hmm. Now you can hold on for a while. You can determine for a while whether mm-hmm. or not they fall down. But at some point you go, I'm going to have to let go so that you can learn to ride on your own. And when you do yeah. let go, you no, lo- like, you no longer have the control to stop them from falling. Now, now that's mm-hmm. not to say that God couldn't control. He couldn't. Oh, yeah. He definitely I'm, could I'm, micromanage I'm not saying I'm not saying that God loses control. What I'm saying is he allows for us to move beyond a point where he is still you know, controlling everything that's happening and then goes, Hey, now it's up to you mm-hmm. and I'm giving you that freedom. Now, whatever happens when I let go of the bike, I can still bring about my ultimate plan, which is where you talk about that word plan. Mm-hmm. I can still make my plans happen, mm-hmm. but here in this, in these next 10, 15, 20 yards, yeah. I'm letting you have the sort of control over the situation. Sure, And so I think when we when we maybe put it in those terms, it does sort of t- make a little more sense that God doesn't, God would not have to hold the bike for our entire existence. That's a great example, you know. And we're we're created in the image of God, and throughout Scripture, you see God presenting propositions to people, inviting them mm-hmm. at times, commanding them mm-hmm. to do things, but they often choose not to. It's, mm-hmm. It's hard to read the Scripture, Old Testament or New Testament, and not see that God allows people to make choices that are contrary to what He says is best. Right. I mean, we go back to Lot and, you know, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and, mm-hmm. and you, you just see God and, and Moses changing God's mind, you know, mm-hmm. and you see these different stories in the Scripture where God seems to have a desire and then 
what he desires ends up not happening. Well, and think about how God changes his mind. Mm-hmm. There, there's dialogue going there. There's interaction. You know, there's even at times where he, God will directly put a little pressure on, but it's not this reaching into his soul and mm-hmm. micromanaging and kind of right. changing his, you know, his will. So that's kind of interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. Before we, we go on to the next one, with free grace theology, we want to recognize that that term is a fairly Johnny-come-lately term for theology within That's the last point. 50 years. That doesn't mean the things that we're teaching are new. Yes. You know, there, there have been... That, yeah, yeah there, there are other theologies that obviously that wrestle with these terms, and uh, it's on a spectrum. You know, there, there's different, and I think we're going to maybe go there in a little bit, but we even see some of these things that we're talking about in the early church fathers. You know, if we talked about, we could go 10 lessons on this. If we, if we get yes. into, if we just get into any of the historical theology, you and I both know we can pinpoint the date that yes. some of the terminism and some of the fatalism sort of started Crept to impact in. mm-hmm. theology. So even though the term is relatively new, the concepts that we're talking about are not. It's more about bringing them together in a system. Yes. And and to be fair, to, there, will, there would be some that would say, well, free grace is a little bit of just a, a response to another theology. And to, and to be fair to those people, at it, it, some level it kind of is. I mean... Well, in some, to some degree, all theologies are that way. That's a great point. When we... Protestantism when you, yeah, coming you look out at, of the church, yeah, Catholic pro- church. Protest... <laughs> exactly. It's a response. And what you see in theology is a lot of times you don't think through things until the question is asked. That's a really good point. So there are, we, we see in the history of theology, when a debate comes up, people get together and they start thinking very seriously about it. Mm-hmm. And that refines it. We see this in the early church. I mean, you can even see the that new church in Acts wrestling yeah. with certain things about well, what are we going to what are we going to require of the Gentiles, or how how do we approach this? How do we deal with that? So. Yeah. Well, and you know, our goal on this particular episode in this series is not <laughs> so much to present all of our arguments, then defend them and say why we think this is right versus yes. something else that's wrong, and and we can do that at a later time, maybe. But um, this is we're trying to talk about what free grace is, and mm. and not to we don't want to sound like we're saying everyone else is you know way off base and we've we've Correct. discovered we've uncovered the one true religion and so on <laughs> we're we're not saying that no. we, and we'll talk more later on about why we think it is important but uh we're not interested in at least not in this time in any sort of a debate about what's right and why so much as just what we're talking about when we say mm-hmm. free grace theology and um and so we all you know it wouldn't be very consistent of us to to adhere to free grace theology and not be gracious <laughs> in how we talk about other other theological views. But you you know we've talked now then about the, the soteriology, how people and are sovereignty. saved, and then we've talked about this idea of God's sovereignty versus free will. Does God choose everything for us, or do do we have some choice? What what are the other elements? So one of the other big ones that would be on the list, and, and this isn't even to say that none of the other you know, none of the other thinkers address this, but one of the main tenets would be a clear definition between the, and here I use the, the biblical terms, the Bema seat judgment, mm. 
and the great white throne judgment. And unpack that a little bit. We believe there's, there's two judgments that humanity is facing. One is for believers. Um, this would be when we, we give an account of what we've done with our, our life before Christ. And then the great white throne judgment, which is for everyone, for the lost. And the verses for that are for the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10. We read, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And we get the word bema from the Greek that's, that's used there. Right. So that each one may receive what is due and for what is done in the body, whether good or evil. We believe that one's for believers. And then there's the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, where all humanity, where it talks about the ocean giving up its dead and everyone giving up its dead, and they stand before the Lord, and there's this determination of their eternal destiny, uh, you know, the lake of fire and what that looks like for them. So we, yeah. one of the clear things in free grace theology is acknowledging that there is an accountability for believers mm-hmm. that is different from this ultimate judgment. Right. So another way to talk about this concept yeah. would be rewards theology. Rewards theology, and, yeah. and that's something I know you and I have talked about kind of when we first mm-hmm. heard about it and how it changed some of the ways that we thought. And uh, yeah, so I think what what's distinctive then about it is there's a, a lot of, if not most, that I'm aware of, most theological worldviews and, and sure. th- traditions see judgment as when we're when when we die or when we're raptured or, or whatever you want to say about the end of our lives, yeah. we're going to stand before God and He's going to essentially put us in one of two categories: thumbs up or thumbs right. down. Like kind of like the <laughs> kind of like on the arena. That's you know? right. And and are you in heaven or are you in hell? And that's that dichotomy binary, that we yeah. the binary that we have created. I think. Oh, created might be too strong a word, that we have emphasized a lot mm-hmm. in more recent theological history. Yes. Whereas, you know, back in the times when the Bible was being written, they, they didn't think quite so binarily where mm-hmm. it's heaven or hell. In fact, heaven and hell were never the ultimate end game mm-hmm. in their minds. There was a future kingdom, and the earth yeah. was going to be renewed and... There was a resurrection of the dead, as opposed to the disciples are always asking Jesus, "Who's going to be what first in the kingdom? First and, in the king, or greatest mm-hmm, in the kingdom of right. heaven?" You know, they were that they were really geared towards that, the that kingdom. kingdom idea, and and so for most Christians today, the idea about what happens when I die is, do I go to heaven or do I go to hell? Yes. Am I a sheep or a goat? You know, to mm-hmm. use some of the the scripture um, stories and terminologies, but what we then would say in free grace is it's not quite that mm, simplistic or it, it's not quite that uh, binary. I guess we you, you keep using that word, but there is a, le- there is a degree to which mm-hmm. there will be Christians who are, you know, and, and I don't even like to, I try and avoid saying going to heaven slash going to hell. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even like that f- phrasing because you know, heaven is not the the end game. There is a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth where God's dwelling place and man's dwelling place will come back together. Heaven and earth will be reunited, and the end game is a a new creation where where God and man are once again together. 
and so when we say heaven, I mean, I know it's just shorthand for you're, you're in God's favor when you die, but I, I just was thinking that the, the way that people think about it is so simplistic. Are you going to heaven or are you not? And what we're saying is when you do stand before God, if you put your trust in Jesus, there was no work required whatsoever mm-hmm. in order to have eternal life with him. Mm-hmm. So in, in one level, God's going to say, did you trust in Jesus? Yes. Hey, you have eternal life. Welcome to the, the kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. And if you didn't, then you're, you're, you made the choice, and God will, and I believe God will give everyone the choice. And if you chose not to, then you'll get you'll get what you chose, which is life apart from God. You have that choice in this life. In yeah. this life. Not at the judgment. At the judgment. Cur- yeah, I, yeah, I'm glad you clarified that. So I, I would say that there's sort of like levels, you know, it's like looking at planets through a, a microscope. You look through the planet, you might see a round... Telescope? Telescope. What did I say? <laughs> microscope. Mic- telescope, yeah, I'm going the wrong direction. So you look through a plant at a planet through a telescope, you see two round orbs, okay? Mm-hmm. You could say this is the blue planet, this is the green planet, mm-hmm. okay? That sort of gives us a little bit of definition, but there's a lot more to it. You know, when you talk about eternal destinies in heaven or hell, is there a, a binary aspect of it? Yes, there is, but there's more to mm-hmm. it. You know, one of the things we see in Scripture is, and there, there's several passages where we see Jesus even address degrees of punishment. Yes, that it's going to be worse for uh, you than it was for Sodom yeah. and Gomorrah. Yeah, for Tyre and Sidon. For Tyre and Sidon, yeah. yeah. Because you've here's the Lord of glory is here doing miracles in your presence. So it's based on what you had, mm-hmm. you're, you're accountable to what you had. And based on what you had, you, so there, you messed up more. So what we see is God is just. Yes. And, that is a clear definition of justice. And hell is going to be what, whatever that looks like, whatever that is it's going to be perfectly just. Yes. Heaven, when you get there, well, you got this I, this element of grace, mm-hmm. unmerited favor. None of us deserve to be there. So in, at that level, we are all on the same plane. <laughs> in that level, we're, we're, we're there, we're citizens. But when we look at Scripture, we see that there's this issue of rewards. Mm-hmm. And what did you do with your life? Yeah. You, you came to faith in Christ, and this would be the free grace response to... Um, this idea that some people call it easy believism. Yes, and or say, cheap grace. Yeah, cheap grace. Mm-hmm. You know, they say that, okay, you're, you're just making, you're watering down the gospel. There's no mm-hmm. consequences. Well, this would be the response to that, that we have, we definitely agree that there are consequences. Yes. To sin, there are consequences in time, mm-hmm. and there are consequences in the sense of loss. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't believe that everyone is necessarily going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah. Does that mean they won't be received? Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't think it means that. Does that mean I think you're going to walk around heaven as a second-class citizen? No. Right. I, one, of our, one of our professors, and I, I don't know for sure if this was the way he did it or if it was another student, but it, it's like it's family court. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have, maybe you have a lot of children, you have a business. You may have one child that has the, the stuff to be the CEO. Yes. You may have another child that, okay, they can still be in the family business, but we're not going to put <laughs> them in charge. Yeah, they're not going <laughs> to hold the money. <laughs> Do they still get to come to Christmas? Do they still get to sit around your table and eat with you? Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Do you still love them? Absolutely. Yes. Do you still have a relationship with them? Yes. Mm-hmm. But there's this this matter of rewards that doesn't speak to doesn't speak to identity mm-hmm. or love. Yeah, and, and reception it's, from the and father. And with, with that metaphor, it's I love all of them, all the all my children, without any regard to what they've done. Yeah. I mean, the, the, it is completely unmerited love. It is unconditional. Mm-hmm. I the the most accomplished of my children in the and the quote-unquote biggest screw-up, if you want to use that term. Well, I love Bible them. uses inheritance language. Yes. It talks about your inherit, enter into your inheritance. Mm-hmm. I, I know families who they've written the will, and they've looked at their kids and grandkids, and they're like, some of them, some of them aren't going to do well with a large sum of money. Absolutely. This one's going to need a few restraints. I've absolutely. seen people set up trust. Mm-hmm. For a family member that was struggling with something, they're going to get a little bit at a time. Yeah. This other one... We're going to give right. them the lion's share of it, and they're going to do good know with that, it. That, yeah, and, and that is based on what they've done. And that based that's on what the, they've done. That's where you base, you base something on, on what they've sort of proven to be capable of. Mm-hmm. You, you are loved. You are welcome to the, at, at the family table. Yeah. You have my unconditional affection and my unconditional love because you're my child. Nothing you could do could ever lose that. But based on how you've lived your life... Mm-hmm. I'm going to deal in my inheritance for the, to use that biblical phrase mm-hmm. and example. And so you, I go back to something you said earlier, which is you don't believe everybody's going to hear "well done, good and faithful servant." Mm-hmm. And and there's that's biblical in the sense that that's a phrase we see in the Bible and we get that from somewhere. Mm-hmm. I I think to just to for my own benefit of, of how I understand it a little better, I would say, and so I'm I'm not citing a biblical passage when I say this, but I'm saying, yes, I agree. Not everyone will hear well, well done, good and faithful servant, but every Christian will hear welcome home. Oh, you know what I mean? And so, so we'll stand there and God will say, well done, good and faithful servant to those who, who spent their lives and devoted themselves to the work of Christ because they, they wanted to, out of uh, love and uh, in gratitude for the gift of grace, they wanted to live for him and, and work on his behalf. And God will look at them and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now the person who did none of that mm-hmm. and what we would call the easy believism person yeah. who said, well, I'll just take the get out of jail free card and, and go. <laughs> and we all go, well, that's not fair. He shouldn't get the same. Well, I would say he's still going to hear welcome home, Yeah, but he's not necessarily going to hear well done, good and faithful Think servant. Think about the prodigal son. Yes. When he came home, his dad was waiting at the edge of the property, eager, eager, running. You know, it's the only place where we have a metaphor of God running, because the father is, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the, the symbol of God there. He runs to his son, embraces him, yes. calls him son, so bring great. out the robe, kill the fatted calf, put a ring on his finger, loves him, yes. receives him. Do you think he said, hey, son, good job wasting the family inheritance on <laughs> prostitutes and gambling. Right. No. Probably, right. He probably didn't hear that, but boy, was he received. Welcome back home. Derek's getting ready to teach Sunday on the thief, the, on, the the thief on the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, look at the graciousness of Jesus in there. So okay. this all comes back where we started. Grace. Free grace theology. We're, we're clarifying, emphasizing that aspect of grace, this unmerited, this amazing heart of God for His yes. people, and man, I I can't 
talk about or hear about the prodigal son story without thinking, is there a better picture <laughs> of God's grace for us? And, and if you are ever struggling with the notion that, man, I, I've done something so bad, I've messed up so, so much that God would just never want me back, he wouldn't love me, yeah. read that story and really... I mean, sit on it and let that marinate in your brain and in your heart because when you think about a son who, I always say when I teach that passage, I always like to point out that when the son asks the dad for his inheritance early, he goes to give me my money now. Mm-hmm. To me, that that is the equivalent. I would think more so back then in the time period that's kind of the equivalent of saying, "Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have Definitely. The, so I could have the money that you're going to give me when you die." Like, Definitely. just give me the money that I'm getting when you die, and I'm getting out of here. And mm-hmm. and he leaves his dad behind, takes the money, and and does awful things with it. Yep. Immoral debauchery. You know, he goes out and he does so. Anything that you think, man, I've done this and it's so bad. Look at the prodigal son. Do, he he told his dad, basically, I wish you were dead. Give me your money. And he went out and he blew it on the most hedonistic, debaucherous, <laughs> if that's a word, yeah. uh, you know, work with I think about like, like flying to Vegas and yeah. just taking <laughs> your family fortune and spending it all on a, on the biggest party you can. And whatever you've done, that story is meant to show even when you do that yeah, and you, and you think, my dad would never want me back after this. Because you, you get to the end of the line and you go, what was I thinking? I can't believe I did that. And you don't, we all tell ourselves, you have to go back, you have to work mm-hmm. to get back in his favor. And I always think, again, well, when you I... had his speech all worked yeah, out. Yeah, when I, when, I, when, I, <laughs> when I teach this, I always think about, I try and paint the picture, I think he was probably riding in the back of wagons as he's <laughs> hitchhiking home, you know, and the entire time he's just sitting there rehearsing this speech for his dad. I, I don't have to even be your son anymore. Let me live in the, let me live in the the servant you know house outside. I won't be in the house. I'll just work the fields. I just want to be near the house so that I can still eat a warm meal and things like. Mm-hmm. But I don't have to be your son anymore. And practicing that over and over again, only to get home and before he has a chance to say it, Dad has <laughs> run up to him, thrown his arms around him, and said, "I'm so excited you're back home." And even when somebody and you're thinking, "No, no, no." This is wrong, Dad. You're you, you forgot to lecture him, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think as a reader, you would think that. Don't worry, Jesus put the older brother in the story to be that <laughs> voice. That's just, right. Just in case you were thinking, no, 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 he he messed up. The dad should have punished him. The dad should have said something else. Jesus is like, no, there's an older brother there to remind him that. And what does yeah. the dad say? No, your son is home. It's like he's back from the dead. We're gonna celebrate that he's back. Yeah. And so, gosh, I mean, to me, that is, in some ways, that's a, that is a free grace. Uh, that, that story is like the, the movie for free grace yeah, theology. It, you know, the, here, the, here's your $100 word. It is quintessential picture there you go. of the, grace. There you go. And the beautiful thing, beautiful thing about it is the recognition, you know, in, in our studies, we, we strive to recognize that there's consistency in the Old Testament and the yes. New. You, you go back, I, and you've been in my office, you've seen on my wall, I've got Genesis 3-9 printed on my wall. Mm-hmm. 
this is right after Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve had basically said, well, we're not going to do things the way God says. We're going to do it the way we want. His very first words to them, where are you? Yes. He knew where they were. Yes. It's not how dare you. It's not I'm going to get you. It's where are you? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's Seeking that heart. Out. That's that heart of the Father. That's unmerited favor. They didn't deserve that. Yes. You know what's funny is you say that, and one thing that I've learned as I have... I came into free grace theology somewhere around, oh, it's been, I'd say, right about 10 years now where I, mm-hmm. where I really started to, to study it and, and see, see the distinction from where I'd been to what free grace was teaching and, and starting to change my perspective a little bit. And over that decade of, of study and some seminary and different things, one thing I keep thinking about is how much it's reframed other parts of the Bible that I'd read before and and understood a certain way, and with a free grace perspective, it's I now see God's grace in places I never saw it before. You yeah. talk about that that part of Genesis. I'll go right around that time, just a little bit after. You know, when God places the cherubim in front of the garden yep. with the sword, you mm-hmm. know, and it's this kind of crazy picture that sure. it's real hard for us to figure out what's going on there. But it's it's a picture of God removing Adam and Eve from the garden, and and I was going back and I was listening to a Bible Project podcast on this, and Tim Mackey, it's actually a series on trees, yeah. and he's talking about the tree of life and and some of the different, and and I'll tell you that's a mind blowing series as well. <laughs> but um, but talking about the the fact that the tree of life, you know, they got in trouble for the tree of the good knowledge of good, ge- and evil, of, yeah. of good and evil. And that was the one that God said, I don't want you to, to eat from. But there was the tree of life there. Mm-hmm. And we always forget, you know, when we, we think about there was one tree, but there was there were two. And the tree of life was the the tree that um, if you ate from it, you would never die. Yes. Right? And it's this picture of life source. It's God is our life source and wants us to be plugged into him. And that's how we have everlasting life. But when you think about what happened in this, the Genesis story the, at the beginning of Genesis. And, and Mackie talks about this as well in other places, but heaven and earth had at that time dwelled together. God's dwelling place, man's dwelling place, they were together. Heaven and earth were together. The sin of Adam and Eve fractures that relationship. God being a holy God, sinless and perfect, cannot be in the presence of sin without essentially destroying it. Mm-hmm. And you think about the sun that would burn up anything that came close to it. God's holiness is like a sun that burns so hot that sin, if it gets too close, burns up. And what would that mean about a creature or creatures who are now sort of infected with sin? Yeah, If they stay too close to God, there is a consequence, mm-hmm. and that would be their destruction. So when God says, I'm removing myself now from the garden, all of a sudden, for my whole life, that, that I saw that story one way. All of a sudden, because of a free grace perspective, and I'm, not, I'm not saying other people outside of free grace couldn't mm-hmm. see it this way, but what, this is what free grace illuminated for me was, that's an act of grace. Keeping them God's out. God's yes. grace... Mm-hmm was removing himself from their presence so that they wouldn't be essentially burned up. Yeah. And that tree of life to be removed that for that cherubim there on guard, mm-hmm. keeping them away from the tree of life, I don't want you go, going into eternity in this state. 
Correct. You are infected with sin. And in, if you now eat from the tree of life, mm-hmm. infected by sin, you spend eternity in a sinful state, state apart from the holy God that wants the relationship with you. Mm-hmm. I want that relationship with you. I want to create a way for you to no longer be infected with sin before you access that eternal life again. So I'm going to create a way to give you uh, perfection, to give you holiness, to mm-hmm. take away your sinfulness. And after I've done that, then you have eternal life and you can be with me. We can be together. Absolutely. And and how that reshaped not only Genesis, but the entire story of the Bible the whole narrative yeah. for me was just, it just blew my mind. Well, from the beginning, from, from there on through, God is always initiating. God is always pursuing. Yes. Even, even the discipline, even the punishment that comes, mm-hmm. it's all geared to bring them back. Exactly. The consequences are, are allowed or designed or whichever the case, and there are different cases where that each of those would be true in order to bring the people back in. Even the land of Canaan, he tells Abraham, he said the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. He gives them four centuries. Mm-hmm. And they had some kind of a testimony there in that land. You know, God is... I, I can remember Tom Rogers from the pulpit one time saying... God's holding this card of judgment, and he's holding it real tight. And he's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to know, you know, and he sends prophets, and he sends preachers, and he sends the message, and he sends little skirmishes to try to get their attention to draw them back. The last thing he wants to do is use that one card. Right. But even that one card is designed to, and you see, when Israel goes to Babylon, right. that finally kind of knocks the idolatry out of them. Yes. And they come back in faith and... It's a lot better, and and so if if that can reframe you know Genesis and then that carries over into the mm-hmm. into the rest of Scripture, then when you get to Revelation and you get to what's going to happen, and the the fancy word is eschatology oh, and yeah. the end times and and what's still to come, you know when people ask the the theodicy question, if there's evil in the world, how can God be good if there's, if evil, there's in the evil in the world and, and all of that. And, and that gets into, well, why hasn't he stopped it yet and all of this? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the idea and what free grace, again, can help me understand a little better is I'm looking at, at this through a grace perspective. When we say we, talk, we want to look through, the, through a grace perspective, this is part of what we mean. I'm looking at the situation and asking that question now with God's grace at the forefront. How can God's grace be true and be revealed yes. in this question? And I, what I've come to see is when, when we see, look around, we see the evil, we see the, the suffering in the world, and we go, why hasn't God ended this? Well, we do know that he said he's going to. Mm-hmm. So we have Revelation 21, that he's, he's going to make all things new. He's going to wipe every tear from every eye and all yeah. of that. So we know he's going to. And then the question becomes, well, why hasn't he yet? And... To that, I, I say, that's his grace. Oh, we get that answer in Peter. I can't right. quote it verbatim, but he says, yes. why does he delay? Well, that he does so he, that more people mm-hmm. can come in. And it goes <laughs> back to that idea in Genesis that God has removed himself so that the people he wants the relationship with mm-hmm. have the opportunity to no longer be stuck in their sinfulness where eternity would keep them from him. Yeah. And he is giving he's giving every possible opportunity and every possible moment to a world full of people who have not yet 
put their trust in him so that they have the opportunity and he and he's doing that at the expense of you know at it's costing suffering and it's costing pain but mm-hmm. that's how much he wants everyone to come to know him as he would wait until the last possible moment to come back to destroy all sin and all sources of sin and make all things new and bring about that eternity which is where we then have to trust it's going to be worth it mm-hmm but I look at that and I go, God loves people so much that he would allow a crazy world full of people that are looking at him going, God, what are you doing? Yeah. Where are you right now? And he would allow that frustration and that confusion in order to allow every person the opportunity to come to faith. And then once everyone's had the opportunity, he's going to say, okay, mm-hmm. I'm back. I'll put, it, I'll put all this to an end. I'll start the new creation and we'll walk, walk into eternity without pain, without suffering, mm-hmm. but only because I've now allowed everybody the chance to Correct. be here with me. You know, our attraction, mine, mine and yours, to, to the system, and this is what everybody looks for in theology, is, is a, a system that answers the big questions. Right. And that's the Big question. All religion has been since the beginning of time. Sure. Everybody is asking the question, how can God be good and evil exists in the world? And and you and I would agree that the way the free grace perspective addresses that answers it the best. Yes. Yeah, Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, the the judgment issue took us on uh, quite a tangent, but I think one that we, you know, I just, again, I think the the passion that we both have where it comes out when we talk about that. So we've covered soteriology, we've covered sovereignty versus free will. And now we've talked about that, that idea of judgment and and Mm -hmm. punishment versus reward. And that there's not every Christian is going to walk in and and have the same experience. And I do want to make one more point on that real quick before we move on to the next one, uh, because it's one I think is helpful. Uh, When, people struggle with the idea of rewards theology. Yes. When they struggle, and, and people do, when they struggle with the idea that there will be some who get more rewards mm-hmm. or a, a better experience. You know, I've always used the analogy of, of um, a theme park, and, and I was, mm-hmm. I was uh, shown by a student not too long ago that, that for him it wasn't, it wasn't helpful, and, and he kind of explained why, and, and then we were able to talk, talk through it. But the idea that if you go to a theme park, there are certain rides that you have to be a certain height mm-hmm. to, to get on, and that means you have to have grown a certain amount. You know, mm-hmm. when you go to the theme park and you're, you haven't grown enough, <laughs> yeah. then there are certain rides you can't go on. But there is a, f- a whole part of that theme park that's made for you, mm-hmm. you know, that you, you can ride all the rides in that section over there if you're, you know, a, a young kid. Um, but only after you've grown enough can you get on all the rides. And so you walk into a theme park, and are you going to have fun no matter how old you are? The idea is that you, sh- you should be able to. It's a yeah. theme park that everyone can enjoy. But can you enjoy the whole park? It, you know, can just anybody enjoy the whole park? No. There are certain people that can't fully enjoy it. It's a level of cap- your capacity to enjoy the park is mm-hmm. smaller than others. Or a cup. Everybody's walking around, you know, with a full cup. Everybody's cup is full in heaven, but your cup may be much bigger than mine. And yeah. so you may have that that big gulp over there, that 64-ounce <laughs> big gulp, and I've got the little, you know, 8-ounce solo cup or whatever. Um, 
I'm, mine's full. I can't hold anymore. But they I've, both have unlimited refills. That's yeah, like, that's right. <laughs> I've got all I can handle in my little eight ounce cup. Yeah. I can't hold as much as you can, but I'm still full. I'm not complaining because my cup is full. Sure. And like you said, you know, the, the refills. But I think it's one of those places in theology that every analogy we come up with will fall is going to fall short That's somewhere. Right. That's so true. And I have, I have wrestled with that, and I have talked to people who, mm-hmm. as after they've gotten to this point, okay, I, now I finally recognize I didn't have to do any work to earn salvation, you know, to be born again. And that's, okay, that's, that's a free gift. I'm celebrating that. But now you're telling me there's this whole merit system. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've just fallen back into yeah. a, a work system. And, and so I'm glad you brought that back up again because we don't want to do that. Yes. That, that's not the same thing. In fact, you know, one of the things that I think about a lot these days, the way that we're saved is by faith. The mm-hmm. way that we come to faith in Christ is by faith, mm-hmm. believing. The way we're sanctified the way, if you want to use the word merit, which it's, there's an issue there, yeah. the rewards, earn the rewards, win the rewards, whatever term you want to use, it's by faith. Right. It's by continuing to believe, to recognize the, the goodness of God. I struggled with it when I first learned yeah. this, and I can remember, again, talking to Tom Rogers about it, mm-hmm. and I said, Tom, I'm, I'm a little stressed about it. I want to hear, well done, and good and faithful servant. He paused And he leaned up over his desk and he looked at me. He said, you need to remember something. Jesus wants to say that to you more than you want to hear it. (laughs) Yeah. And and that helped me. Yeah. You know, and again, another beautiful picture of the eagerness of God Mm -hmm. to draw his children close. And it's, it's not about works. It's the rewards will have, there will be some things about what you do with this life but that all has to emerge from faith, mm-hmm. from believing and continuing to walk with Him and, and draw near to Him. And uh, we've got some unanswered questions. Every theology, one of my favorite uh, teachers makes this statement. He said, It's not doctrine that divides, it's intellectual arrogance mm-hmm. that divides. And one of the things we want to do with our theology is, and this is in tune with our free grace theology, is we want to be gracious with others. And where right. they believe, because honest seekers are going to be asking honest questions mm-hmm. and wrestling with these things, and so interacting with people in a loving way, yeah. and and recognize that we're on this, you know, on this search for drawing exactly. closer to Him together. Exactly. Yeah, and and I think you know, just to put a fine point on the the mm-hmm. the whole issue is, you know, the the shack on the edge of heaven is better than <laughs> the the greatest mansion in the whole world. Sure. And so if anybody's worried that uh, that they're going to get to heaven and be disappointed no. with what's there, <laughs> that's not the case. And, no. and, uh, and so I think that helps me when I go, Oh no, have I done enough? Cause we, cause if we, if we have, when you get outside of free grace theology and some of these other theologies where we say that, they emphasize works too much, even if unintentionally, mm-hmm. then people out there will wrestle with, have I done enough to earn my salvation? Have I done yeah. enough to prove my salvation? And so mm-hmm. on. And going back to backloaded, frontloaded gospel, all of that. And, and within free grace theology, we could also have that, have I done enough to earn rewards? rewards have yeah. I done enough to hear well done and good, good and faithful servant? And, and you mentioned the, the story about Tom, but it's helped me to, to know like, man, 
maybe I have, maybe I haven't. But at the end of the day, whatever my reward is, mm-hmm. when I get to heaven, I'm gonna be with Jesus. I'm gonna be with Jesus, and yeah. I'm not gonna be disappointed with that experience. And so, I think the prodigal son story probably does the best job yes. of helping us recognize what that is. It, I agree. The arms are open. Mm-hmm. The heart is ready to receive, you know, his heart right. is ready to receive us. So, And when he was expecting to have to work the fields, mm-hmm. you know. As a, as a as slave. A, as a slave. And the reality was he got to come back into the house well, and be a, a son. His motivation for going back really wasn't even all that noble. It's true. <laughs> you look back. You, he just ran like, out of money. He's like, I'm, I'm out of money. <laughs> he had to eat you with know, the pigs. This guy's making me feed the pigs. Yeah. And the worst person in my father's house was treated better than this. Yep. I mean, he sort of went back because of logic. It's so true. And, and yet, I never thought despite about that. that, he's yeah. received as a son. So true. Yeah. Okay, let's go ahead, and you said there were four points, so let's go ahead and get to the last one. Last one, and this will dovetail well to what we talked about, is we would emphasize the assurance of salvation. Yes. Which is key for for every believer to have peace. And my favorite way of explaining that is to talk about the born-again language that Jesus uses, you know, uh, unless you're born again. And I think about my daughter, she she is my natural daughter. She has my DNA in her. There are things that could happen where our fellowship could be broken, but my DNA, we're always going to be father and daughter. And once we're born again, once we are now th- these believers, these children of God, we're in his family. He's our father. He's connected to us for eternity. You know, he gives the Holy Spirit and doesn't take it away. Sort of like the the DNA infusion, right? That's right. And so we see this language throughout the New Testament, and Jesus says, you're not only in my hands, you're in the Father's hands. We're secure. And free grace theology, you know, that's one of the things they want to clarify and emphasize, that 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 assurance is based on the objective truth of, of Scripture not on works, how many times I go to church, how many good works I do, or do I die right. in the faith, which is a big part of some theologies is that, well, do I finish right? Do I, when I end, persevere. when I die, do I persevere? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, it's about that DNA. It's about believing. Yes. Have you believed in Jesus, taking yeah. him at his word? Yeah, and, and that... I think it's so good that you point that out as one, something that it's not only something that defines free grace theology, but it's also something, and this is what we were, we were going to get into. We may, we'll, we'll get into this next time, but it's also something that makes us distinct a little bit, which is, uh, and, and there are some faith traditions outside of free grace that actively, uh, do, they, they intentionally do not offer assurance of salvation correct? because they don't, believe in it, and they believe that with any sort of assurance of salvation, then people will no longer live holy lives. Mm-hmm. And so the threat, so to speak, of losing your salvation becomes the motivation to, we use the word persevere, um, mm-hmm. Uh, that's the that's a, a theological or a doctrinal, I should say, term. Well, but be good or I'm going to get kicked out of the family. Exactly. And, and so... And there are some, there are, I say there, there are some faith traditions where they say there is no assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation would mean that everybody will be bad and then they won't, there won't be any good Christians in the world. 
And then there are some that would say, no, there is assurance of salvation. We just can't have it. Like, yeah. we just don't... <laughs> there's just no way to know. It exists. Which is a very weird thing to say, that you can be assured of something, but you can't be assured that you have the assurance. That's <laughs> you right. know? And And so... Uh, and those are two very common yeah. theological views in modern Christianity. And, and the ones that offer assurance are going to offer it based on your evaluation of how your life has how, changed. How can you tell that you, you're assured of salvation? Well, look at your life. And, and there are prominent teachers... Uh, Which I'm when, saying is not right. <laughs> yeah. There, there are prominent teachers of those, of those dispositions that will even say, well, I, I hope that I... I hope that when I get to the end of my life, you're right. The I most don't believe, con- or... the most consistent ones will say that. Yes. They'll say, "I think I am saved, but I don't mm-hmm. know that I'm saved." And I so so I hope. Yeah. And and you got to give them credit for being consistent. Yes, but, but that is so important for us. As, and and we'll talk about this at another point too. Is, is the the ministerial and pastoral implications of mm-hmm. of free grace, which is. Gosh, how many Christians struggle with the question, am I saved? Mm-hmm. Am I really saved? I mean, we just did our, in the high school ministry, we just had our senior testimonies. We did videos. And I think, if I remember correctly, we had, we had five of them. We had a, a kind of a small senior class this year, and so we had five that did their senior testimonies. Mm. And I think all five mentioned at some point along the way... Struggling with that. Struggling sure. with whether or not... I know one of them saying... So I, I thought I did when I was young. Mm-hmm. I thought I became a, a Christian, but I wasn't sure. So when I was older, I, I prayed again, which, I mean, my goodness, how common is that? Sure. You know, and, and how many people have had that experience? And so uh, it's so important that, that a, a, a theological system ha- have something to say about assurance. Definitely. No matter what their view is, it's important to have mm-hmm. something to say about it because it comes up in the life of every Christian. But... We in free grace theology want to express that you can be assured, and what's different about what we're saying versus what some others would be saying is you don't have to look at your own life. That assurance is not based on anything that you do or don't do. Right. So don't try and evaluate how good your works have been. Mm-hmm. Don't try and evaluate do your good works outweigh your bad works, because the question's always going to come up, how much is enough? Yeah. How can how much is enough to be assured that you're saved? Is it ten? Is it twenty? Is it ten more than your? And how many sins? How many sins are there that I commit that that shows a a habit of sin? You know that was, and I'm so glad you said that. That was my hangup before I came into free grace. I got hung up on that one. What's that one sin that pushes me over the edge? We all we all have sin areas in our lives where we're more prone to that sin than we are to other sins or than a lot of other people are. And we all have that. Mm-hmm. And the problem would be like you're saying, we look at that and we go, does that mean I'm not actually saved? Did am I cross the line? Am yesterday? I not actually a Christian mm-hmm. because I did that again? Mm-hmm. And that for me was such a battle was and and hearing pastors say if you c- continue to struggle with this sin you may not be saved yeah. and that was so you know to me now I go that's so unpastoral but sure but that was based on their theological grid and and we in free grace would say no you can't look at a, a, a sin mm-hmm. a, a, a pattern of sin 
a habit of sin. You can't look at any of that and say that yeah. means you're not actually saved. Because on the in- other side of it, you can't look at a, n- a number of good works and say that's enough. You've done enough to to know that you are a Christian, that you that your faith was genuine. And so, uh, I, I know the passage that we go to a lot is is First uh, John five, and he talks about this. I write this so that you can have the assurance of mm-hmm. salvation, and and uh, and it's it has nothing to do with us. It's all mm-hmm. about emphasizing the cross and emphasizing Jesus and what He did there, and saying. When he died on the cross, that was enough. Yeah, that was enough for any and every sin you have committed, will commit, and you don't have to. You don't have to question down the line. Oh, did I? Yeah, and the vast majority of people are going to have some point in their journey that they do have a question, and it, it's a legitimate thing to wrestle with. But when you do that, you want to go to Scripture because yes. that's objective. Truth. Objective. The truth. truth. Objective truth, not subjective evidence. That one day is right. there and one day That's is right. gone. You know, you go, what does the scripture say? Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, you know, if you believe in me, what, what do you tell the thief on the cross? We're going to look at Sunday. He said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Yep. He believed. And what did that thief do to prove that he earned it? Nothing Not that we that. know of. <laughs> and he didn't have much time after that. Didn't so. have much time afterwards. So, yeah. 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 And that's always a really, really helpful example there, too. So, so to just a, a quick recap of what we've talked about, and, and and in defining free grace theology, you said obviously this list is not exhaustive. Oh no! And no. and so we've we've not defined free grace as a whole. But what what you've said is here are four uh, characteristics or doctrinal um, categories of I, I would say theology. main concerns in that theology, like yeah. as far as what would make it different. Yes. You know, or their, their take on it yeah. is going to be somewhat different. Yeah, and, and so um, so you've gone through then soteriology, which is how a person can be saved and mm-hmm. the process by which that happens um, and where free grace really emphasizes it is by faith, uh, by grace, through faith. And um, we go Ephesians no strings 2, attached. Ephesians 2, 8 and yeah. 9, there's no, no man can boast, it's not our own works. Mm-hmm. And we really want to want to be clear. And there's no evidentiary works on the backside that can say, Correct. "Okay, if now you've got to make sure you yeah. that was authentic when it happened." Mm-hmm. So soteriologically, we believe in grace alone. Yeah. And then um, then you talk about how how God works in the universe. Does He determine every minute detail, or does He give some free will? Um, and in free grace, we allow for or we would say that God uh, is 100% in control and powerful, and yet he relinquishes uh, some decisions to us to allow us to to have freedoms, and then he works with those to get his end product that he wants. At Romans 8.28, he works all things together for the good of those who love him. Um, and then we talked about judgment, the Bama seat versus the great white throne judgment. Those are two different things, and that... Um, that all believers, um, no matter what their works are, no matter what they did in this life, there's no merit, there's no earning, there's no losing. All believers will have eternal life, and all who reject that gift will get what they want, which is to be apart from God for eternity. 
Um, I always like Tom's phrase. Uh, he would say the, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. Yeah, perfect and justice. Perfect justice. God doesn't throw someone in hell and then lock the door from the outside. He mm-hmm. gives uh, everyone the option, and then they choose. Um, and at that throne judgment, there is the great white throne judgment mm-hmm. and the Bama seat judgment where the Christians um, are given their reward and the degrees to which they experience eternity and, and things like that, um, which is a part of our free grace theology. And then finally, uh, and lastly, it's the assurance yeah. of salvation. Yes. Uh, and that we don't have to look at any of our own works. We don't have to look at our lives and say, Am, have I done enough or have I lost it or anything like that? Assurance is based on objective truth, what Jesus did on the cross and and we can all have assurance that no matter what we do, no matter how much we mess up, no matter how much we go back to a, a sin or a sin area, that we are still secure in the hands of, of our Father mm-hmm. and, uh, and that the cross was still sufficient to cover over every sin, every sin that we've committed. So, um, so here's what we're going to do, Joe. Okay. That was great, <laughs> but it went longer than I thought it would it just on those, time, on those yeah. four points. I think that was important, though. I think... Uh, I'm glad that we uh, that we that we covered all of those and that you brought all of those up and we were able to go into some detail there. But what we're going to do is we're going to save um, kind of the second half of this conversation for next time. And we'll uh, if we need to extend, uh, we, we had another another episode planned anyway. So if we need to extend it into a, a third episode, we can. But uh, we'll come back next week mm-hmm. and talk more about free grace theology. And, um, and we'll probably talk a little bit about, I know we touched on it today. We'll talk a little bit about some of the other theologies out there yeah. and, and then further clarify what the distinction is, free grace okay. versus something else. Um, and probably get into maybe some scripture passages that highlight, um, uh, that, that highlight free grace or where we see, some some real diversion between free grace and other theological systems of okay. how they interpret certain passages. So, uh, again, this has been a topic that we've had requested, and so um, I hope this is this is helpful. I hope there's information here that that people um, find encouraging and helpful, and that it it helps to clarify some of what we mean when we say free grace. And I know we don't necessarily throw that term around up from the pulpit a whole lot, but it is so vital to the life of Grace Church. It's the heartbeat of Grace Church. Uh, it was so important to Tom uh, for so long in, in his mm-hmm. ministry, and it's important to all of us who are on staff now and the elders and the people who were you know, here from the beginning at, at Grace Church. And so... Uh, it Well, the name of our church is Grace Church, and that's not by that. mistake. That's right. It's, we see it as a concept that permeates everything that we do, including how we talk about people who disagree or talk with people so who disagree, which is something we'll get into when we start looking at. Our, our goal isn't to throw anybody under the bus. Yeah, and I, so real quick, let's just touch on that one last point before we close, because I'm, that was originally going to be on today's, uh, today's outline. But um, how would you encourage people um, to interact with people outside of free grace theology or on the on the other side of that, people coming into Grace Church who come from a different faith tradition, and they're going, "Oh, wait a minute! I, I grew up something else, or I came from a church that that had a different perspective." 
Um, and, and we can maybe, if we need to talk more in depth next week, we can, but just a quick response to that. I, I go to Jesus' words, by the, you'll be known by this, by the way you love one right. another. Um, people who are going to have different ideas. I have held different theological positions <laughs> over the, I'm 51, Absolutely. over my, the last 40 whatever years of my Christian life. Yeah. So when we interact with people, it's not about winning an argument. It's about having a discussion with a brother or sister in Christ mm-hmm. and saying, well, this is how I see it. You know, yeah. I, I heard you talk about how you explained it to a student one time, and it was so gracious and so um, so warm and drawing. It's That's what we want. We want the aroma of grace to permeate everything yeah. that we do and how we interact with people. And I would encourage people when they, if they go to another church and they hear something different, you know, you, you don't need to stomp out or stand up and yell, that's wrong, you know, and, or, or and tell please, that. Please don't do that at Grace Church either. And please don't do that here either. You know? <laughs> while you're preaching. At least not while I'm preaching. It's all right when Nolan preaches. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we want to be gracious to people, and it's okay to have differences of opinion. Absolutely. And now, are there some things that people might hold that we might not let them preach or teach here? Sure. There's probably there's some churches that wouldn't allow me to teach there, right? Yeah, and, and that's uh, that's okay. That's their prerogative. You know, it's okay to disagree. Yes, and I think when we talk about being gracious, we want our demeanor mm-hmm. and the way that we go about it to be the first thing. That relationship yeah. with that person yeah. is what's key. Arguments settle very little. Yeah, you know, debates yeah. and argue, I mean, there's a time and a place for it, mm-hmm. but you know. The third aisle of Walmart so probably isn't going to be the place to. <laughs> have you ever run into a theological debate in Walmart? <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I have. You know, I I think I've had. I know that I've had um, had some students, whether high school or college, who come into my ministry from a different faith background mm-hmm. and one that would probably, you know, look at Grace Church and go, "Oh no, no, no! They're they're really they're really wrong, or they're really off base, or whatever." And and they come in, and and they might hear something. They might like it, or they might not. I, you know, it's sure. it, 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 it just depends on where they come from. But anytime I've had conversations with those students, and they go, "This is not what I'm used to. I came from such and such, and and we believed this, and you taught mm-hmm. this." And what I always try and do is is encourage them with the freedom that hey, you can come here, you can be a part of what we're doing, you can participate. And you don't have to agree with everything that we say. And in fact, what I would hope that you would do is give us the opportunity to to flush some of that out, flush some of that out and, and explain what we're saying so that you can really interact with it. And if at the end of the day you'd still disagree, then that's fine. And that doesn't you don't have to leave if you ultimately disagree. You could stay and and just say, you know what, here there's a couple here's a couple of things that I, I don't hundred percent agree with, but I'm here at Grace Church and I want to stay a part of the body. They're great. You you should and, and could do that, but um but I want them to interact with what we're saying. And here's the thing. I was that person one time too. Me too. When I was, you know, twenty one years old, I was I was learning and growing in my faith under a different theological perspective. Mm-hmm. And when I came to Grace Church and when I heard some of what they were saying, it didn't line up with what I was learning and what I had come to believe. 
And what I found free grace to be was a healing balm mm-hmm. on, on some wounds that were either created by or made worse by, or, or at best not helped by a different theological perspective. And I want that for the student who walks in and says, man, I'm confused, or I'm trying to learn this about God, or I'm trying to figure out how God sees me, or, or any of those things. To be a place where people can and, learn. And they and come grow. and they hear grace, mm-hmm. and they hear that healing message that God loves them, that like the prodigal son, no matter where they're at, no matter what they've done, yeah. he's got his arms wide open, ready to, to take them back, and, uh, and that they don't have to work to its exhaust. I mean, you think about Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are weary. That's what he was saying. He was talking to people who were religious and trying through religion to get right with God. And he was saying, come to me, all you who are weary, for my yoke is easy and my, my burden is light. And following Jesus should not be burdensome in the sense that you're constantly trying to earn his favor. Paul, Paul commended a group of people from Berea when he went to teach them, and this is in Acts 17. He commended them because they listened to what he said, but then they went back to the scriptures mm-hmm. to confirm. Yeah. Is this really true? Imagine, imagine doing that with Paul. Imagine, okay. If Paul you know, said that? If Paul uh, said that, I'd probably che- be going, I'm okay. going to check this out, Paul. I don't know <laughs> if I believe you. Which means that you should definitely fact check Nolan and Joe. <laughs> <laughs> if you fact check Paul and you don't fact check Nolan, I'm, I'm going to call you out on That's that. That's right. You need to work on that. So, Well, thanks, Joe, so much for, for joining me today. I never, uh, I never go through one of these conversations without um, thoroughly enjoying it. So oh, it's fun. So we'll do this again next week. Uh, we'll we'll talk some more about free grace theology. And and you know I said at the beginning of this we've got a new uh, email address for people to send questions. Free grace theology would be a great topic if you've got questions about it. You want to know something? There's something we didn't cover today. We it may not be on my. Uh, on my list for the next week or the week after. So if there's a question you have about free grace theology, uh, please email it to me uh, and, and we'll try and work it in. Again, it's exchange. There's no the at the beginning. It's just exchange at gracechurch.com and, uh, and we'll try and answer uh, listener questions. So uh, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week to talk free grace theology. In the meantime, hope everybody has a great week and we'll see you Sunday. It's fun, Nolan. Thanks. Yes, sir.